You're listening to the Grocery Girls podcast. The Grocery Girls is a non-profit organisation focused on inspiring and empowering women in the grocery industry. We want to help women realise their full potential, channeling their talent and ambition to seize the opportunities they deserve and carve out a career that works for them. I'm Molly Hodge and I'll be your podcast host. Every episode, I'll be interviewing someone working in the grocery industry, from intern to CEO, retailer to supplier. I'll be asking them to share their career journey, the highs, the lows, the lessons learned, and their hopes for the future. I'm Jo Whitfield, the founder of Grocery Girls and also CEO of Co-op Food. I'm the first female CEO of a major grocery retailer, but it's absolutely my mission to ensure that there's many more of us coming through in the years to come. There are so many amazing, talented and driven women in our industry and we want to bring you all together to share experiences and to ensure that every one of us reaches our goals. Hi everyone, I hope you're all very well. Welcome to another episode of the Grocery Girls podcast. Now, I have a bit of a confession to make. I'm actually recording this a week in advance. As like most people, or as so it seems, I'm off trying to make the most of the summer. So hopefully, while you listen to this, I'm sat in glorious sunshine and not stuck inside in the rain. So, on to this week's podcast then. Hot on the heels of our podcast with the founder of Moorish, Julie Waddell, we're very excited to have another mumtrepreneur, as this week's guest likes to put it. This week, we have the very successful Annabelle Carmel. Similar to Julie, Annabelle Carmel's career in food also began thanks to a fussy toddler. Now, 30 years on, Annabelle is one of the most successful children and baby food authors. She has a very own food range dedicated to providing nutritious meals for babies and toddlers and has built a massive following on Instagram through her recipes and advice. In our interview, Annabelle talks about the grief of losing her daughter, Natasha when she was just three months old, and how she channels her trauma into building a legacy for Natasha with her food business. Hi Annabelle, welcome to the Grocery Girls podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, we're delighted to have you with us today. Very nice to be here. Now, I don't want to waste a single second because we have so much ground to cover today. I'm going to jump straight in. So please, could you tell us about you and your brands? So we have two parts to our company. We have Carmel Foods, which is our food ranges. We do chilled ready meals for children, frozen ready meals for children. We do ambient baby purees. Uh, we do pastas and sauces. Um, and we, we supply most of the major retailers. It's been going since 2006. Um, and then I've got Carmel & Co, which is the digital side of our business, which is a website. We have hundreds of thousands of people every week coming to our website for recipes and advice. And also Instagram, I have about 350,000 Instagram followers, which I absolutely love because it's just like it's having your own focus group. And often I will post a recipe and then about two hours later, people will have already cooked it, show me a picture of their child eating it. And it's just very kind of heartwarming because it's kind of why I went into this. I mean, my history is that 
I was a musician and unfortunately my first child died very tragically at the age of three months and I can't even explain how I felt but it was beyond unhappy and I really didn't know what I was going to do with myself and all I knew was I wanted another child and when my second child was born he was literally the world's worst eater and I think having lost a child and having this child wouldn't eat I felt extremely vulnerable and somehow music hadn't got the meaning that I had before I had lost a child it's a very life-changing moment in a woman's life to carry a child give birth to a child and then not be a mother anymore very hard to come to terms with that and I didn't know what to do with myself but I knew then that I wanted to work with children but I didn't know what it would be and then Nicholas my first child well second child but my my child now um he he was kind of the catalyst because I thought I'm going to get this child to eat and then I had a big play group that I was running for a hundred children and mums and I made up recipes for him gave them to all the mums and they would come back every week saying wow these are amazing my child loves them and then after a few months of me giving out these recipes and everyone using them they said to me you know you should write a book about feeding children and I thought I can't even type let's write a book but then I thought what a great legacy to Natasha to create a book of healthy recipes, to train your child to have good eating habits, right from the very beginning when you first wean your child with purees and finger foods. And I started to write my book, but all the experts around the country I interviewed, they contradicted each other on what you should or shouldn't give your child. So I was really confused about how to write factually what was the correct information. And then I eventually found the Institute of Child Health because unfortunately, Natasha, my first child, had died at Great Ormond Street Hospital. And I knew they had this research arm which looked into nutrition for children. So I started to work with them. So I was a little bit ahead of my time, like you should be giving peanut butter to children for six months or really important to give red meat or a source of iron and essential fatty acids. And eventually I wrote this book called The Complete Baby and Toddler Meal Planner. And I was quite green because I thought you had to write the book from beginning to end, so I did. And then I got like illustrations from some students at art colleges. I got a prize, like a 500 pound prize to be the illustrator. And so I had this finished book and I was turned down by literally every publisher that I sent it to. No literary agent would take me on. And it took me two and a half years to write this book. It was a labor of love. So really, I had a second child by the time I'd written the book. And then eventually, I didn't know what to do with myself because I thought, well, I'd spent all this time writing the book, nobody wanted to publish it. And then I was playing tennis with somebody who knew a book packager. He took it to them. They took it to Frankfurt Book Fair, had nothing for three months. And then Simon and Schuster, a very big publisher in America, decided to publish it. And then the packager took it to Random House in the UK and they published it. And the book went on to sell five million copies. I never, I nearly gave up to be honest. I thought no one would ever publish this book. And this book is now, I released the 30th anniversary edition uh, last month. And it's been like my fifth child in a way because it really was the start of my career. I mean, this book became the Bible for so many parents. It got published in 25 different languages. And it's just helped so many parents all over the world to like give their child healthy food that also tastes great because you are actually catering for the most discerning food critic an irrational toddler and fussy. And I had three of those. So I learned the hard way. And being a mum, of course, you're also emotionally attached to them. So kind of learned as any mother would how difficult it is to feed your own child. <laughs> but I managed to get through it. And then I wanted to help other mums who went through that difficult time. And it is very hard. So yeah, so that started my career. But little did I realize when I wrote that first book that I would I wouldn't go back to being a musician and playing the harp and singing, that that would become my career. 
and I would have a career in food. So in a way, it chose me. Thank you for sharing the story of your daughter. I, I genuinely can't even imagine the pain you went through. I find it so inspiring how you've taken your trauma and channeled it into helping other parents, other toddlers. And your perseverance, despite everything that you've been through, all the knockbacks, you've never given up. Thank you. I think in the way it was my also my therapy, like writing the book and eventually publishing the book and holding it in my hand. It was kind of my therapy to come to terms with her death and to give some meaning to her life. Because you do wonder, like, why did it happen? Why would you have a child who's born and then it's no longer with you? It was just very difficult to come to terms with. And I think that's why very often when you do lose a child, you do something quite life-changing. And, and I definitely kind of, it did change my life completely. And it was very hard to pick myself up. It was like I wake up in the morning and I would think it was just a nightmare. And then I'd realize it wasn't. And it was actually reality. I had, I had lost my child. So you'd relive it almost every time you woke up until it became part of your life. But I think having another child and holding that child in your arms was very cathartic. Unfortunately, he was born on the staircase and my doctor told me not to go to hospital. And then no one came for two and a half hours after the child was born. It was an awful birth. And I thought I was going to lose my second child. But luckily, luckily, it just shows you you can give birth with nobody around except my, my husband, who actually had zero training. <laughs> I would have liked the full epidural and everything and I had the most natural birth with nobody and no help. Miraculously, it was okay. And now he, he's 30 years old now and he's a strapping lad. Uh, you know, it all worked out okay. It just shows you what, what you can do if you have to do it. <laughs> wow, what a story. I know we haven't been chatting long, but already it's clear that your family are at the heart of everything you do and central to your success. How did you balance motherhood alongside your career? So having lost a child, I knew that I wanted to be there as a mum. I wanted to be there for the sports days and take them to school, fetch them to school, take them to all their activities. Wanted to be involved. So I actually chose writing as I knew that I could do that around my children. But I always knew at the back of my mind that I wanted to probably develop a food range eventually. And I wanted to kind of feel that although I wanted to be a mum, I also felt that I needed something for myself. I knew that I was that type of person. I don't think you should feel guilty about it. This whole mum guilt thing is a real problem for, for parents. Like when you're with your children, you think you should be working. When you're working, you think you should be with your children. So I kind of made up my own rules. Like I would take them to school, fetch them from school, take them to all activities, but I worked really hard in between times and be quite disciplined about it. And I think sometimes like being a mumpreneur, which I suppose I was, that in the end, you can reap the benefits because my daughter, Lara, she works with me. I see her every day in my office. I've created a business that she loves. She said to me the other day, like, the best thing in my life is my work. And she will blossom and she'll have her own child one day and it'll become even more important to her what we do because we, we, we always deal with young children. And I've, I've shown, I've kind of been a role model to my kids. And like, they've all become little entrepreneurs in their own right. And in a way, like, that's a gift and I can help them in their careers. So yes, you did have to sacrifice some things. And I had to work really hard and I worked in the evening. But I also feel that by being a working mum, I've given my children something that I couldn't have given them had I not worked. So I'm not going to feel guilty about it. And I don't think women should feel guilty about it. I think that there's so much guilt put on women if they can't breastfeed like 
you know, that's already a bad start before you've even begun. I mean, yeah, some people need glasses. We can't all breastfeed. And like weaning, like, you know, what you should start with, you have to start with green vegetables. If you don't start with green vegetables, you give them like sweet potato or carrots, that's also okay. But I'm not very didactic about that. So I think as a woman, maybe I didn't really have the confidence to think that I could develop a food range and sell it into supermarkets, seeing like all these big companies. But I was fortunate that just by chance and really randomly, I think because of the success of my books, and by then I'd written 17 books, Marks and Spencers rang me up and said, would I develop their food range for them? They didn't have a children's food range in 2000. So I worked with them and a team from Marks and Spencers to head up what would be in their food range, what the packaging would look like, like all the messaging to parents and consumers and the pricing and everything like that. And I learned so much. I worked with them for nearly two years. And then it didn't have my name on it, but I was like behind the range. And then I worked with Boots and I did a co-branded range with them. And I really enjoyed that. But then they wanted me to be exclusive to Boots. And I thought, no, I want to go into supermarkets. So I said, I couldn't continue doing that. So I then hired a consultant and we found a factory and we decided to go into children's food one to four years old because most of the children's ranges about all the children's ranges were four years plus so a really young toddler needs less salt i mean it needs different nutritional requirements and different guidelines and there was no food for them and when you think about it, like baby food is six months to 12 months, but toddlers is one to four years. So it's actually a bigger age range. You've got more customers. So I took my favorite meals from my books and I gave them to the factory and I started to work to cost engineer them so that they be the right price and taste good and taste like a homemade meal. And it took a long time. And we developed the range and I, by myself, <laughs> went into, it was Sainsbury's at the time and various other supermarkets, but the other supermarkets didn't take it, but Sainsbury's did. And in the year 2006, we launched our range of children's meals. And now we're in most supermarkets with children and frozen ranges. And quite a lot of the meals that I designed in 2006 are still the meals that are on shelf now. And it's interesting. And I think the reason why I've been successful is because I care so much about the quality of the food that I make. I want it to taste like as if you had made it in your own kitchen, like a homemade meal. And I also think like when you buy a child's meal, you want to trust it. And there's an emotional involvement with what you're giving your child. And I think that what we've built up over the 30 years that I've been writing books is that real trust and feeling that we're not just a company that is pushing food or for you to buy a meal or a baby puree. We want to hold your hand. We want to help you through every stage of feeding your child. We want to help you with allergies. And we have like digital weaning course. We have an app. We have so much information. I'm doing like tonight, I'm doing um, an Instagram live with the food safety mom, which is talking all about how you freeze food, how you defrost it, um, how you heat it till it's really hot and then let it cool down. All the food safety things that mom needs to know, like, can you freeze avocado? What can't you freeze? If you use frozen meat and then you cook it, can you refreeze it? And these are things like a lot of people don't know. And like, we want to help people with all those really kind of things that are common questions that parents will ask when it comes to feeding their children and empower them with the knowledge that they're going to need to be able to give them the best quality food. Because I think a lot of moms will just buy something 
from the baby aisle, which is the only aisle in the supermarket which has no fresh food. So potentially, most of the food that a child might be eating is older than the child by the time child gets to eat it. And I think you can mash an avocado and banana and that makes great baby food. But you've got to know that that is good baby food and you don't have to necessarily buy a pouch. So I want to give parents that knowledge, that, that trust, that feeling that they are empowered to make those good choices for their child because you are training your child to have good eating habits for the rest of their life in the first few years of their life. And that's what we want to do. It's more than a it's more than a food range. It's a it's it's a legacy to my daughter, and it's something that I'm going to leave behind. It's something that kind of is her legacy, not my legacy, but what she created by her short life. She's created something that will help other children, and that's really what I wanted to do. And that's really what drives me. And I think why you do something is so important. Honestly, what a fantastic legacy to your daughter. I'm sure she'd be so proud of everything you've built and the fantastic career that you've had, not just in the UK, but globally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, I would rather have her with me, but I mean, it is, it is, it is lovely. I mean, we now, it's interesting because I would never have expected this, but I did a lot of book tours all around the world. And one of the countries that I was touring was Australia. And I got a call from the number one frozen food company in Australia to develop a range of meals for Coles. And we launched that six years ago. And now we have a 20 million Australian dollar food business supplying Coles, Woolworths, Aldi, all of the supermarkets in Australia. And I'm literally a household name in Australia. It's unbelievable. Who would have thought it? I mean, it's extraordinary. And it's funny because one of my best girlfriends married an Australian and I'm literally the only person, one that can't do it now, but went backwards and forwards to Australia every three or four months. And I love the fact that it's gone so far and wide. We supply China, we supply, you know, Dubai, a lot of the Arab countries. It's, it's great. It's fantastic. And I can travel to almost anywhere in the world and talk about food and know that parents are still using my books because they've been translated into 25 languages. So it's quite an international career. Oh, wow. How fantastic that you've been able to take your career around the globe. I imagine it's all been put on pause a little bit due to coronavirus. I was travelling quite a lot before this happened. And I went to Australia just before they shut the borders. So I got in there. Um, and after that, I haven't been anywhere for nearly, I don't know how long, um, I don't know, 18 months or so, or whenever it started with COVID. But COVID had a silver lining because it did make you think about your values and your values as a family. And my son got COVID extremely badly and he got a very badly infected lung. They call it organized pneumonia and he was terribly sick. I mean, there was one point where he said, I, and we didn't want him to go to hospital, but he said, I feel so terrible. I don't even care if I go to hospital now. And he was adamant not to go. And we nursed him back to health. And at the time he had rented a house and he was living there. And then he moved back in with me and he's still, in, he's still living with me five months later. <laughs> He's now bought another house and he will move out eventually. It was going to be about nine months before he does it up. So I've got my family back. And then my other daughter came back and I put it down for food, actually, because he rings me at 10 o'clock in the morning. What's for dinner tonight? He's like, it's so much food. And he was literally my inspiration, really. He was the child who wouldn't eat. And now he's the most experimental child who will eat anything. So I'm curious, is food and nutrition something you've always been interested in? Or is it purely something that came became an interest because your son was a fussy eater? 
So it was before that. It was I went to study. Uh, I played the harp, and I went to study in Holland. And I had to live by myself, so I had to learn to cook. So I started to learn to cook there. And when I came back to London, I did a cordon bleu cookery course. So I loved cooking. It was my great passion. It was my hobby. I never thought that it would be my career. So if you do what you love, it's like you never do a day's work in your life. Every Tuesday, I spend the entire day cooking and photographing meals and put them on my social media for that week. So. It's, I'm always back to the heartland of developing recipes. That's really our skill in making something that doesn't contain too much salt still taste good. Because when I wrote my book, everybody said that babies only like bland food. So I thought I'd put that to the test. I gave them bland food and then I gave them a chicken curry puree for a seven month old. And guess what? They loved They loved the more flavorful food because that's what we like too. And I think the more flavors you give children when they're young, the better the better they become as you know not, not fussy eaters. And, there's so many children that grow up and they'll only eat chicken nuggets and pizza. Not because that's what their parents want them to eat, but because they've been worn down to a frazzle by them cooking and then rejecting it. So interestingly, our best-selling ready meal is a chicken tikka masala for a one-year-old. And it's great. It's dairy-free because it's got garam masala and various different spices in it. Even though it's very low in salt, it doesn't taste bland at all. And children absolutely love it. So we're getting children to try new foods that you know, they probably wouldn't have tried. And then parents can take them out to other people's homes and they're not that fussy. And I think it's really important. I bet you've made life easier for so many parents and saved them so much time too. My next book is on teaching children how to cook. So I've actually, it's finished. I have a copy here. Comes out in September, but it's the most fabulous book. It's not just cupcakes and stuff. It's like hidden vegetable bolognese, how to make a poached egg omelette, you know, everything that children need because they can operate these really, really complicated computer games, but they can't even make a piece of toast or a scrambled egg. And I made my children when they're really young, like four, five and seven, I made them cook dinner for us on Friday night. So if they were really young, I would chop it for them. And they absolutely loved it. And they could cook, even from that early age. And they loved it because they liked being part of the adult world. So I think cooking is very important. And I'm doing another book now, writing another book on where food comes from. So teaching children like how you make pasta or where does chocolate come from? Because they don't know. And I think it's really interesting. And, and making eggs, it's almost like a, it's almost like a scientific experiment boiled eggs, scrambled eggs. It's fascinating for them. They love being in the kitchen and you're bonding with them. So I love all of that. Um, and I just love food. I'm obsessed with food. Like I think about food the whole time, <laughs> the whole time. And I always buy my meals every week to taste them, make sure that they're exactly as they should be. And I think that's the difference between a range that is developed by a human being with their name on it, because it's your name on the packet, to maybe an label meal that I, it's, I have this pride in my quality that has to remain and you're only as good as your last meal. Now, if you have to choose, what is your favourite thing to cook? Oh, wow. I mean, that's like asking what's your favourite child. Um, I make this seared tuna salad, which we literally lived off during lockdown. And it's got like, it's got things in it like muli, which is Japanese radish. And you cut it really thinly. So it's a little bit crunchy. And it's got this Japanese like salad dressing which is delicious it's got ginger and rice wine vinegar and all sorts of yummy things in it and it's got sear tuna which i put little sesame seeds on and i marinated in ponzu and honey and soy sauce and slice it really really thin and then i put cherry tomatoes and toasted seeds and it's just the most incredible salad no one ever gets fed up with it and i probably make it every single week 
Um, and I absolutely love that. And it's so healthy and just feels so good after eating it. So I really like that. That's one of my favorite dishes at the moment. And the other really favorite dish, which my son loves, comes from my complete baby and meal planner, which is the first book I ever wrote. And it's a minute steak. And it's you take the steak and you bash it out really, really thin. So you only have to cook it for like a half a minute each side, one minute or in total. And then I make a red onion gravy by cooking the onions for 10 minutes with some thyme, a little bit of sugar at the end to caramelize them. Then you add your stock, a little bit of like soy sauce, some balsamic vinegar, a bit of tomato puree. You pour it onto the steak and you serve it with like roasted um, new potatoes with a little bit of rosemary and garlic. Oh my God, it's the most amazing meal. And it's in the baby and toddler cookbook, but it's his favorite meal ever. I say this all the time, but I'm gonna have to change the subject because it all sounds so delicious and it's actually making me really hungry. Now, I'd love to know more about what it's like to work with you. What are you like as a boss? Oh, okay. So I don't really, I don't really feel I'm a boss. I feel that we're a team and that we all work together and everyone's voice can be heard. And I think the good thing about it's my company is I can choose who I hire. And I like to hire people that are kind of they're self-starters and you don't need to be looking over their shoulder or telling them what to do because they kind of they know what to do and they bring a lot to the table and I like the fact that we're back in the office now three days a week so I think it's great that we worked on zoom and everything but there's nothing like getting around the table and like I just think it gets the creative juices going and I love the communication between people and I think that when I was playing the harp and writing it was a very solitary career when I think about it, I didn't speak to a soul all day. I had my head down. And now I love it that I come into the office and we chat, chat, chat. And then we work together and we're all really proud. We get new listings or new meals. And there's this camaraderie about being in the office, which I love. And I think also that my daughter's there. I really like the fact that, you know, I've seen my daughter every day in the office. We're on different floors, but it's really nice. And I have, you know, a lot of my people are actually on maternity leave at the moment. Something about working for Annabelle Carmel. They all have babies. <laughs> so I have one who's pregnant with me at the moment, who's my new product development lady. And she's replacing somebody who's on maternity leave. <laughs> and then I've got my head of marketing and she's on maternity leave with a second child. And then I've got the PR lady and she's on maternity leave as well. But we've got really good people who have taken their place. But it's lovely that they come back to the job. They want to come back to the job. And you know, I think that's great. I wrote a book called Mumpreneur. And the thing is, at the entry point in a woman's career, that's kind of equal. You've come out of uni or wherever you've been educated and you get a job and there's women and men that's kind of equal. Then you go away and have a child. And then you think, do I really want to do that job and come back at eight o'clock and be away from my child or... Maybe you lose confidence because you've had three children, you've been out of the workplace. And it's quite hard. But then I think, you know what? When you're a mother, you learn all these incredible skills. You learn, you learn how to multitask because you've got one child going over there, another one who's like a baby. I mean, you have to do so many different things as a mother, and you have to, it's unbelievable. Then you've got to have really good people skills because you're dealing with an irrational toddler. It's impossible. It's impossible to rationalize with them when they're two. So if you can deal with that sort of child, then you can deal with any adult human being. And I think that you're learning a lot of skills as a mother you can use in business. And also, I find that women who have children don't waste time in the office because they want to go back and be with their child. You know, so I think 
I love to employ women. Not that I don't like men as well. Obviously, I do. But I see the benefit in in actually employing women who have children. Actually, your changing bag over your shoulder is not it's not the end of the glass ceiling. It's actually you've learned a lot of skills and those children will eventually go to school and you can have more of a full-time job. But it's okay to work. I, w- I only work, want to work three days. I think that's okay. But those three days that you're working, you're fresh, you're loving it, you want to work. You want to have that something for yourself in your life. And I don't think you should feel guilty or bad about it. I think I think it's if there were that type of woman, you should feel proud that you want to achieve something and, and be a role model to your children. In the same way, I feel... Enormous admiration, enormous admiration for full-time mums because that is the hardest job in the world. And at the end of the day, you think, what have I actually done? You know, like the house is untidy. I need to still cook a meal. It's hard, but also it's probably the most rewarding job in the whole world to be a mum. And if I'm on my deathbed, am I going to care about did I get my fish pie into like a supermarket or do my children love me and did I do right by my children? That has to be what I want my legacy to be. That that I gave them, you know, I trained them. What I, tra- I gave them a it gave them a good life and they're happy. But I also think that when you have children, it's about training them to do things for themselves. And it's so easy to tie their shoelaces or cook for them. And it's more difficult and more time consuming to get them to cook or teach them how to tie their shoelaces just before they're about to go into the car to go to school. But that's the greatest education you give to your child to be self-sufficient. And I think that I've given that to all my children. I think you've raised a really excellent point there. Now, I'm not speaking from experience as I haven't got children, but I imagine it must be so daunting for a new parent to return to work and have to adjust and balance their workloads alongside the baby. However, the pandemic has completely shifted ways of working and I think there is much more appetite for flexible working. I think it has and people have realised that you don't need to be in the office every single day of the week. So we're doing three days and two days at home, which I think then people really, and they really like, they wanted to come back. People were fed up, like, being at home the whole time. They didn't want to. It was like almost they asking me, like, when are you going to, like, let us back in the office? It's really nice, and they love coming in. So it's good, but they also like the fact that it can be flexible. And I think that's okay. Uh, So how involved are you in the day-to-day? Everything. I know every single tiny thing that's going on in this business. Literally everything. I get so many emails. I never go to bed till about 2 o'clock in the morning because it's impossible to read them all and have all the meetings that I have and all the things I have to do. So I get very involved. I like to know what's going on. And I think it's important to know what's going on in your business. Um, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, I think that's just part of the culture of being an entrepreneur. And I always say being an entrepreneur, it's not... It's not a part-time job. It's not a full-time job. It's a lifestyle. It's like you cannot separate me from my work. My work and me are one. And I'm also totally unemployable. It's another thing you want. And no one will be able to employ me. (laughs) I like to, I guess I like to think about something, decide to do it and implement it. And I think failure is a big important part of growing and not to be afraid of failure because it's through failure that you learn a lot. And people will say, oh, you shouldn't do that. It's not going to work. But you never really know what's going to work. And a focus group won't really tell you. Somebody might say they want to do organic food, but when they actually go to the supermarket and it's like 40% more expensive than a non-organic meal, they probably won't buy it. So I think sometimes you just have to suck it and see. And, and, And some things will come good and some things won't come good. But very often, you'll learn more by your failures than you will by your successes. And, and I, I try things. I will experiment with things. And if you don't, you don't grow. And it's important to grow and not stand still. And to come out of your comfort zone is also important. It's to be brave. 
when you have experienced failure or if you're having self-doubt where do you find the confidence to build yourself back up I think everybody has like times when they doubt themselves um I think what's very therapeutic in my life is I have four dogs and dogs give you so much love you know they're just the most amazing creatures and if I have a bad day or I've got things on my mind and I just can't get them out of my brain and I'm with my dogs I hold them in my arms like it all kind of melts away and that's very important to me like coming home being with them and being with my children but I will fight if I need to because people see me and I think you know I'm five foot one <laughs> I'm a little person and I think Sometimes people are taking advantage of that, but inside this little person is, is somebody that has, you know, strength of character and will fight for something and have integrity. And I think that's very important to stand up for what you think is right. And things that have happened to me in the past that haven't been right, and I have fought for them. And in the end, I kind of won the battle. Even when people said, you know, you should give up now, I won't give up. I'm not that type of person. And I think. It's the why you do something. It goes back to why did I do this? That makes me a fighter. And I think having had the success that I have, the success that I have had, makes me stronger and makes me want to fight even more. And I enjoy it more than ever because I know that I have an audience for what I do. I mean, we have one and a half million parents that we, we get to every single week through our social media and our website. And they're very engaged with us. And I've built my career on a very strong foundation. First of all, books for 17 years, then one range versus a chilled range, then my frozen range. And I do believe in frozen. It's interesting that the great British public would rather buy a chilled meal than a frozen meal. And they put a chilled meal in the freezer, which is like, why would you do that? Because frozen meals are frozen at source, which has to lock in all of the goodness. You buy a chill mill, you keep it in the fridge for a couple of days, it's been on the shelf in the supermarket, well, it has to be degraded by then. So I do really believe in the future of Frozen very much, and I want to do more for that. And I think that what people do at home as parents is a lot of parents now make their own baby food. I think 60, 65% of parents will make it themselves, and they'll freeze it. That's what they do, because you can't make one small bit of puree. So I don't. it's not a big step to then buy a toddler meal that's frozen. And then if they like the taste of that and parents will try their children's meal, I think they'll buy an adult frozen meal. So I think it gets more people into the frozen aisle. And it's interesting because you don't, you don't amble down the frozen aisle and like, oh, I think I'll just have a look. You don't, you know what you want to buy before you do down that aisle. And you're just otherwise picking up a bag of frozen peas and some chips. So I think that we built this new range, this new frozen range from nothing. There weren't, you know, ready meals for children that were healthy. And in Australia, it didn't exist at all. And it took nearly a year for it to catch on. And now, as I said, we've got a $20 million Australian frozen food business for ready meals. And we're launching the most innovative range in Australia, which is like finger food. But what it is, is it's spaghetti bolognese made into a little ball. So you can pick it up with your fingers. Or macaroni cheese and broccoli made into a ball. Or It's, it's really interesting. And they built this factory especially for this range, because so many children want to have finger foods. And it's from 10 months. And it's because you can buy these trays of meals for children and they don't taste like real food. And then for like, you know, for the second stage weaning, but you're not training your child to like home cooking. If you give them these meals, they taste, you know what they taste like, they don't like, like cardboard. So I wanted to create something that 
they could have at a very young age. Pick up with their fingers because they get very independent. They don't want to be fed with a spoon and, and, and they want to pick things up, but which are nutritious. And also all the things that they love, like macaroni and cheese, spaghetti bolognese, but as finger food, it's very innovative. Where do you find your inspiration? I just, um, I guess I get a lot of my feedback from Instagram because I'm always, always developing new recipes and I pop them onto Instagram, I photograph them and then I look at the reaction. And I can get on one post, 150,000 people look at that post and comment on it and save it and share it. And I know that if we've got like, you know, 2,500 likes and 1,500 saves, and I know that's probably a recipe that people are going to like. And it's almost like having this permanent fo focus group um, on my phone. And it's, I think social media is amazing. I didn't have social media when I started my career. And it's interesting that a lot of authors like, you know, Joe Wicks and people like that, their careers have come from social media. It's come from their following. And then the publisher knows that they're going to sell X number of books like Pinch of Nom to all their followers. I didn't do that. I had to write books to get a food range. It was the other way around because there was no social media. But it's a very, very supportive way of helping people who want to start their own business because it's free. And you can collaborate with other people and that's free too and you can build up your following but it's not a really very commercial pushy pushy type of thing it's about I've got a recipe for you try it or I've got a meme or I'm going to tell you about how to freeze food or I'm going to tell you how to prepare finger food so your baby doesn't choke so the whole thing is about helping people and then occasionally we'll say oh we're two pounds now in a supermarket but we're not going to push that on social, but it does create this audience that wants to be part of your world and you're not being overly commercial about it. And I think that's really important. I didn't want to just be someone with a food range. I wanted to be someone that if you've got no money and you want to find a recipe, you can go to my website, it's free. My app is the number one best-selling food and drink app in the country and it's on baby and toddler food. And it's almost always number one on the app store. And I put my heart and soul into that app. It's been out since 2011 <laughs> and I've just, I, I, I did a whole new version of it this year and it it's, it's just goes from strength to strength. And, you know, when you're in the supermarket, you just like run out of ideas of what to cook. You can put chicken or dairy free or whatever you want to put into the app and something will pop up and then you just, okay, I'll buy those ingredients. I think I'll try that recipe. It's always with you. So you'll never run out of inspiration. I love what you've done on Instagram and the community that you've built. Like you said, you don't just use it to promote your products. You provide real value to parents with recipes and advice. Yes, and it's a very positive place. And also there's a person behind it. And I had, when I wrote, when I published the new 30th anniversary edition of my book, I got lots of influencers and just like mums or mummy brothers to come to my house and I cooked for them and their babies tried the food. And it's real. It's like the children actually eating what I've made and it's, that's what real life is about. That's how I started, was like feeding my own children. It was a big part of my life, getting my children to eat. It was like a big purpose in my life, having three children were quite fussy. And now doing it for other people and seeing them reap the benefits of that book is, for me, like it's the greatest pleasure. So we're rapidly running out of time. What is next for you? What is next for brand Annabelle Carmel? So we're always doing new meals in our range. So we're developing some new meals at the moment and testing them out both in chilled and frozen. And of course, in Australia, I've got this amazing finger food range, which is very innovative, which launches on the 26th of July in Australia. 
and I have a new book. Um, so this book is quite different from my other books. It's called Fun, Fast and Easy Children's Cookbook. And it's teaching children how to make real food. So getting them in the kitchen. And I used to get my children to cook our supper on a Friday. So they'd make things like a cottage pie or a spaghetti bolognese when they were four, six and seven. Yeah, and they loved it. And they were pretty competent by the time they were eight, nine and ten. So I think cooking is a really important part of life. Um, we're working on just many, many things, really. But food is at the heart of all of them. But we're also bringing out a slight kind of extension to the Animal Carmel range. I was at an award ceremony and I met Rachel Riley, not the countdown Rachel Riley, but Rachel Riley, who's a clothing designer for children. And we got really friendly. She's a quintessentially British brand. And I guess I am too. And we're both mums. And we decided to do a clothing range together. So the clothing range actually uses illustrations from my books. And we've made baby grows. In fact, we've made baby grow. We can get your child's name embroidered on it. We've made aprons, bibs, like muslins, a whole range. And it launches in September. So that's quite exciting. So it's an extension to my brand. Yeah. Oh, and I'm doing all the food and um, a restaurant in Qatar. We're developing a restaurant in Qatar, which is going to be ready for the World Cup. And it's an amazing restaurant. It's like larger than life. Like, and I've done all the food for that. And I've also just um, done all the food for a big hotel, the Chimera Hotel, which was the Carlton Tower Hotel in London. So I developed all their children's menus. They haven't opened yet because of COVID, but they're opening soon. So the, the menu is amazing. It's fantastic. So that's been quite exciting. And we have a nursery catering business. So we... We make food for nurseries and deliver it to nurseries. And during COVID, we, as nurseries were closed, we started making food for the NHS. So we delivered nearly 3,000 meals a day to NHS hospitals and um, people who weren't able to go shopping. And we literally, by the second week of the pandemic, we were making thousands of meals for people. It was such a camaraderie and everybody was literally a volunteer. And we got like Uber drivers coming and just taking it to like, you know, different hospitals and feeding the nurses and the doctors and, yeah, that was amazing. So we were quite busy during the pandemic, uh, working on that. Now, before we wrap things up, there are a couple of questions we always ask our podcast guests. Now, my first question is, who is your role model and why? And has your role model evolved with your career? So I think for me, it's very personal. It was my mother. She's now 94, but she's worked all her life. And she got married. And although she was an architect, she kind of gave up her job and her career to look after her two children, me and my brother. But then my father lost his business and also suffered from depression. And suddenly her life went from being reasonably comfortable off, comfortably off to having to become the breadwinner. And she went back to architecture and she became a shop fitter and then she opened an antique shop. And I could see like, it was hard for her because she'd had all these years out of just being a mum, having to reinvent herself and go and like, if she didn't, do this who would be the breadwinner nobody um and I think that's given me kind of this drive and this feeling that there's an insecurity in life and you always need to be able to rely on yourself so I think she's been my role model in life to pick herself up and to be able to do what she's done and she's been working you know she only gave up work like two years ago when she was 92 it's incredible so if I'm like her I'll be very happy she sounds like an incredible woman working until she was 92. Wow. So final question, a nice easy one to end things on. Please could you provide us with a book or a podcast or a TV series that you've been enjoying recently? So I've actually um, 
been part of a book, but it, it's a book that's just come out and it's called From Women to the World. It's a very interesting book. It's women had to choose their role model and then write a letter to that role model. And when you read this book, it's people from all over the world, whether it's Olympic athletes or a racing car driver or somebody who was an unaccompanied child refugee from Nazi Germany and had to reinvent her life. And there's one woman, um, Margaret Garner. She was an enslaved woman and she knew that she was going to be captured and she had a child of two and a half. She slit her own child's throat because she loved that child so much that she couldn't bear that, that child would have the same life as she would have as a slave. And someone wrote a book about it called Beloved, and I think it became a Pulitzer Prize winning book. And she writes a letter. Uh, in fact, this lady writes a letter to Margaret Garner, this woman who had to kill her own child. I mean, it's a very moving book. And it's just, it's, it's the courage and pain, the reality of like abused women in, in this book as well, have come to terms with what's happened to them and how to try and reinvent themselves. And it's an incredible book about women from all over the world, all work, walks of life. And I wrote in my chapter, my chapter was all about writing to my daughter, Lara, because Lara saved me. She saved me because I had a daughter and my daughter died and then she came along. And she couldn't really replace her, but she she kind of filled that hole in my heart. And it's my letter to her about how, you know, having her kind of really helped me get through the terrible time that I'd had and how proud I was of her and how kind of kind of privileged I was to have somebody working with me who's my child. And I think it's a really interesting book and definitely worth a read. It's called From Women to the World. And it's written by this, well, it's put together by this lady, Elizabeth Filippouli, who does a lot for women. And I think women are incredible creatures because we have to do so much. Before I leave the house, I have to think about what we're going to all eat for dinner. Who's going to be walking my dogs? And like, if the, like when the floods came, I had to sort that out. My partner, he leaves the house and that's it. He just doesn't have to think about anything. I mean, women have to do a lot in life and still have, and still work a full day. If you had to write a manual for what a woman does in a day, it would be hundreds of pages long. There's so much we do. We have to be skilled at so many different things. I think it's the same in business. You have to be involved in so many things. And I, I learned on the job. I didn't study business. And I became a businesswoman. And I won Businesswoman of the Year, which is like, how do I ever do that? It's very weird. And I was talking to Christy Rucker. I wrote a book called Mumpreneur, which is all about women who become entrepreneurs and she only got two o-levels chrissy rucker started the white company and she got an o-level in religious studies and cooking and she said she was only qualified to be a cooking nun but then she met her husband who had charles Turret shirts nick wheeler and she wanted to prove to him that she could be good wife material and she wanted to do the house up all in white but she couldn't find really good quality white bedspreads and cushions and all those kind of things, unless they're incredibly expensive. But then she found out who was making for Ralph Lauren and she started this whole catalog company and that's how the white company started. And she was so bad at all the jobs she'd done previously and been sacked by everybody literally for chatting on the job and not being on it. But when she found the passion and the, what she really wanted to do, she became enormously successful. And it's finding that, and it's finding that one thing that you really want to do in your life and then pursuing it. It doesn't matter what you do now. And I think if you're not happy with what you do now, you should always like, never mind. You can always start again and make a new ending. You don't have to stay in whatever you're doing if you're not happy because life is too short. What a fabulous way to end our chat. Thank you so much, Annabelle, for sharing your story, for being so open and honest about everything you've been through. Thank you. It was so lovely talking to you. Thank you for spending the time with me. 
massive thank you to Annabelle for being so open and honest about everything she's been through. I think Natasha will be looking down on her mum and will be so proud of everything she's achieved. As always, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Grocery Girls UK to be the first to hear about all things Grocery Girls. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you've been enjoying the Grocery Girls podcast. I'll see you next Wednesday. Bye!